Hey, welcome to the third episode of the Richard Bay Talk podcast and video cast. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, three episodes we're up to now, and let me tell you, every day in every way, it's getting better and better. I think we have a great show for you today. Now, Albert Reynoso is my producer. We first Hello. worked together at Sirius XM, and he informed me right uh that most podcasts uh, only go to seven and then people give up they just when they say, start well, yeah seven yeah. is the magic number all right so they start they go to seven and then they go what the hell am i doing here and uh, you know i'm not making any money and i'm working hard whatever so we're halfway there to seven yeah <laughs> uh, let's let's try to make it to eight and i hope you're with us along the way because uh as with almost every show that I've ever done, radio or television, it it just takes time to put everything together. So it has some, see, like that. Like I don't that even know what that together. was because I didn't touch anything. All right. But on today's uh, format of this show, uh, we're going to be talking about Putin and Ukraine, the truckers, uh, the blockade in Canada, Rand Paul asking for them to come down and block our roads here in America. We're going to talk about the latest Republican uh, non-scandal that they're fanning into flames and uh, Trump saying that if we were, have, were a stronger country, we would execute some of these Democrats that were part of it. All of that is going to be on the podcast today including the backstory to my interview with Steven Spielberg, which will be shown, um, edited at the end of what is going on. Now, I don't know. Which is, I don't know. All right. It's going to be, it's going to, uh, be um, available to you at the end of this uh, a broadcast or podcast or whatever you're listening to. And I should remind you, you know, every week on Sundays, I download every one of the Sunday morning shows on podcast, um, ABC this week, um, you know, uh, meet the press, uh, CBS, this CBS, whatever it is, news, their show, and even Fox news, because you've got it. You got to know what they're concerned about now, because it's going to pop up in a debate or a discussion or in the news. Uh, so I usually go out and have a run and I listen to the Sunday morning shows and I listen to them. There's so many, that I do it on Monday. So maybe if you like to exercise and run as I do, it might be easier for you to listen to this on a podcast. And you can find the podcasts on Google Podcast and Apple Podcast. But right now, let's do some quickie news roundup with news of the world. Richard Pay takes on the news. Well, having a little problem with the uh, with the visuals today, but that's okay. Okay, you got the right. you got the idea. All right. So the biggest story of the week is Putin and Ukraine. See, <laughs> not the Ukraine, which is what we used to say, and not Kiev, which is what we used to say, but Ukraine and Kiev. So every newscast is is covering this, and there really is hardly anything. Do you remember Chevy Chase when he was on Saturday Night Live for that first year, and he would do the newscast, and he would go, Generalissimo Federico Franco is Francisco. still dead. Francisco Franco is still dead. Right. 
And he was mocking the idea that, you know, for weeks and weeks before every day they'd go, uh, Francisco Generalissimo, dictator of Spain, Francisco Franco is is clinging to life. And there was nothing new. And then he was dead. So Cheviche said, he's still dead. Um, and that's sort of the way this Ukraine story is unfolding too. Every day it is people who really have no idea um, debating about whether he is actually going to invade or whether this is all a sham. But I have to tell you here on this podcast, we have some breaking news. There was a recording made of Vladimir Putin, a secret recording that has been smuggled out of the Kremlin. And I want you to hear it right now. And it gives you an insight into what's going on in his mind. All right. Vladimir. Should I invade or should I go? Da-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. Should I invade or should I go? Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. If I invade, there will be trouble. Dum 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 dum, and if I don't, it'll be a fumble. Bum 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 bum. What I do, they don't know. Bum 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 bum. Should I stay or should I go? Bum 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 bum. All right. Now, only people who listen to this podcast got that insight into Putin's mind, because the whole. Like outlook on Putin is starting to change. Uh, they're now saying, oh, maybe he won't. He just wants the attention. I've heard that over and over again. Do you remember when you were in high school, there were bullies who would come down the hallway and they'd go like this, but they wouldn't hit you. And then you would flinch and they'd go, flinch. <laughs> maybe that's what Putin's like. We used to have a thing in my school called fake out where you would tell somebody something or you would make them think that you were going to do something to them and then you wouldn't do it. And it was fake out. So I don't know. Maybe this whole thing is a fake out, but it can't go on that much longer. I mean, they say uh, the tanks can only roll on the earth in that area when it's frozen solid. And in March, it'll start to thaw a bit. But once again, Trump is back in the news with all this, you know, toilet flushing and uh, top secret documents. He hasn't said a word about Putin and Ukraine. And that's been the top story, uh, you know, for the entire week. So we will see. We'll have an update on that next week. And then the other big story of the week was, was the trucker blockade up in Canada, where they blockaded the major ridge that brings parts in from Canada into America. There you go. They're all on the bridge. They're all, it looks like a big deal. It's 75 trucks. And it originally started supposedly, and I say supposedly because I don't think this was the deal, that they were protesting the vaccine mandate in uh, Canada and in America, I guess if you cross the border, you have to show your vaccination card to get back in. 90% of the truckers in Canada are vaccinated. And I don't know why. they. Some of them had Confederate flags in the beginning. Some had a, a swastika on a flag. Maybe they're, but on the other hand, they could have been saying that the uh, 
you know, that the government was like Nazis with this vaccine mandate, another stupidity. But why a Confederate flag? And then they came out, they wanted Pierre Trudeau to resign, and they want Parliament to be disbanded. I heard this guy on, on Bill Maher the other night trying to say, these poor, you know, they're working class people and they're being ignored and they want it. Oh, 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 these poor babies, they don't get enough attention. It was like the guy that wrote Hillbilly, Hillbilly Elegy in the beginning, or David Brooks. We have to sit down with these people. No, they're... They're just angry and they want attention and they want to feel powerful. So they've cleared them all off the bridge now. But amazingly, Fox News kept promoting this as it's Canada. I don't even think Fox News is shown in Canada. I mean, Albert, didn't you hear that they they banned Fox News in Canada as, as propaganda? I, I sort of remember that. Wishful no? thinking, I think. Yeah. All right. Maybe they are in Canada, but I thought that they're, they're, they're I'll have to, look. why don't you look it up while you're there? <laughs> I I've got to believe they're in Canada. Every, okay. every good new uh, American show is, is in Canada. So, well, except they took off Howard Stern for a while. Mm, they did. I, I, th right. I also all think right. you can get him there too. All right. Probably on Sirius XM. Yes, you can get it that way. But, um, but all right, so even if it's broadcast in Canada, it was hurting America. Why would you extol these people and promote their cause when in Detroit they had to suspend work on several of the fact factories with American workers because they couldn't get the parts? And not only on the cars, but other um, you know service things for cars, they said, we can't get the parts to sell to people. This was hurting the American. You want to talk about inflation? You know, the price of cars is already, you know, going sky high. If you buy a car today, there are all these stories now, you could sell it in six months for more than what you paid for it. And my Audi, I, I'm on Credit Karma, and every week it seems to appreciate rather than depreciate in price. Used cars... Uh, are, you know, at a premium right now. But then you have Rand Paul, who was on TV saying he hopes the truckers come down to America and clog up our highways and our cities. And there is some sort of, I don't know, really un, uh, unformulated plan to have the truckers go to Los Angeles and, um, you know, to Washington, D.C. and clog everything up. But Rand Paul, a U.S. senator, is asking, what are they, what, what are the truckers protesting? I don't think, there's no mandate for truckers to have a vaccine. In fact, the Supreme Court struck down, you know, um, the, um, the mandate you know, for federal workers and uh, for contractors. I think that's been struck down too. I mean, what are they going to be pro? They're just angry. And Rand Paul, how irresponsible, how damaging to America. And this is the guy that spoke out against BLM protesters bullying Americans. Hmm. He's really uh, approached nefarious here, in my opinion. All right, now 
this last story is keep your eye on this because it's in the Trump um, internet sphere and on Fox News, this is really starting to mushroom. Uh, John Durham, here's the guy. He was appointed by Bill Barr to be a, doesn't he look like a guy on Deadwood who would feed live bodies to the pigs? I mean, he's every picture I've seen of him, he looks like he's mean. And I'm just the guy that can do it too. Um, he's had an investigation ostensibly of the FBI and uh, and of how they handled the Russia investigation. And uh, before I get into this latest thing, he hasn't charged anybody with espionage. He charged one guy, a lawyer, who allegedly sat and was asked uh, if he if he had connections, you know, beyond coming in as a citizen. And he said no, and he was connected to the Hillary Clinton or to the law firm that worked for the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, but anyway, before I get to that, I, I, let's not forget who brought the Steele dossier to the FBI? Who was the first person to go over and say, you should look at this? It was John McCain. And who insisted and provoked him and supported him in doing that? It was Lindsey Graham. It wasn't Hillary Clinton who brought it over to the FBI for investigation. It was McCain and Lindsey Graham who supported it and, uh, and told him that's what he should do. So now Durham has charged that one guy in one instance from five years ago, I guess almost six years ago, from sitting down and not revealing that he had connections to the Hillary Clinton campaign. And what he was bringing was information from a tech company that there was a Russian bank, Alpha Bank, and a, a Trump entity that were pinging each other. It didn't spy on emails. It didn't release audio. It didn't know content. All it knew was that this bank in Russia was pinging, pinging this Trump entity in America. And he was bringing that to the FBI. Now, consequently, it's indefinite as to what happened here. There, is, there are theories that it was all sort of a mistake between two entities there are but there is no definitive answer as to why this was all happening but it certainly wasn't spying all it did was register i forget what they call it it is it is it called dns activity something like that but it's not it's not looking at what is being transferred all right so fox news and the right wingers have jumped all over this and said this is evidence that Hillary Clinton spied on the Trump campaign, which is ridiculous. And Durham, I mean, thought that this, was Obama's job. Yeah, I know. Right, he was hiding was outside. Obama the spy? Yeah, Obama, originally, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, but mean Mr. Durham, he hasn't charged anybody with espionage or spying or you know anything like that. 
it's sort of what he's charged this guy with is sort of uh, it, it's not even as bad as what Michael Flynn did, which was to out and out lie uh, to the FBI. And, and he was, of course, pardoned by Trump. Uh, and what, Durham, why is this thing still going on? What is what what is this about? Oh, mean Mr. Durham. Oh, you're a mean man, Mr. Grinch. Anyway, so Trump has jumped on this now too. And let's have that. Trump, I don't I guess he's off of Twitter, but he has some, I guess, platform to put this out. And let me read to you what he says at the end. This is a scandal far greater in scope and magnitude than Watergate. I I doubt. Donald Trump even knows what Watergate was about. Those who were involved in and knew about this spying operation should be subject to criminal prosecution. In a stronger period of time in our country, this crime would have been punishable by death. <laughs> the death penalty? <laughs> For revealing that there was pinging going on? I mean... Of course, this week it came out that, you know, Trump removed documents that belonged to the American people in the National Archives and that he moved it to Mar-a-Lago. And there are other reports that people in the White House saw ripped up paper in the toilets. Remember when Trump would always say, in this country, you, you have to flush your toilet 10 times, 15 times. It's terrible. He was trying to make a uh, an argument about environmental overregulation but you know have you ever thrown your ripped up credit card bills in the toilet i mean i i wouldn't do that of course it's 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 going to be clogged um and if anybody is going to face some sort of criminal penalty it should be trump for removing these documents, especially if they're marked top secret. Now, I don't know. I ha I haven't heard one one uh, commentator mention. Do you remember Sandy Berger? Sandy Berger was the national security advisor under mm -hmm. the Clinton administration. Do you remember he was charged and found guilty of removing documents from the National Archives? He was sentenced to 100 hours of community service and probation. He was fined $50,000. He lost his security clearance and he lost his license to practice law. Now, Trump has removed these documents, not from the National Archive, but they were supposed to go to the National Archive. So uh, we'll see. Uh, this is a distraction from all of that. And it's, it's just outrageous BS. All right. The other big story of the week was the Super Bowl. Don't ask me about it. I've never seen a football game from beginning to end in my entire life. You I missed was, a good one. Uh, I, I don't even know how they play football. I've never seen a basketball game from beginning to end oh, in my entire too. life. I had a friend who was wealthy. He got box seats to a Yankee game. And we were sitting down below right before uh, the batter's cage. And I was more, and, and down there where the rich people go, you have cocktail waitresses, scantily clad cocktail waitresses. So one of the waitresses was talking to me about the show. And all of a sudden from up above, I hear people chanting, Richard Bay, 
Watch the game. Richard Bay, watch the game. <laughs> that um, does make sense. <laughs> so, you know, I was never, the only sport that ever held my attention was boxing. And uh, over the years, I interviewed some of the great boxers. I have a great story about Muhammad Ali, but I'll save that for another day. The story I'm going to tell today is the is the preview to the clip at the end of today's show. And that is a clip with Steven Spielberg. But to begin this, I have to go back a ways and give you a different foundation. Do you know how Schindler's List was originally written? Thomas Keneally, who was a fairly well-known author, had lost his briefcase, and he went to a leather goods store in Beverly Hills. The guy behind the counter saw his credit card and said, say, you're not uh, Thomas Keneally, uh, you know, the, the, the author, the guy that writes the books. And he said, yes, I am. And he said, I'm not going to give you this valise until you sit down and hear my story. And it turned out that he was one of Schindler's Jews. And he sat him down and he told him the story. Thomas Keneally was inspired to write Schindler's List. Now, I read the book long before the movie ever came out. And when I went to Israel, I went to the, um, they have uh, something called uh, the Forest of Righteous Gentiles, where they planted trees for those non-Jews who risked their lives and the lives of their families to save Jews during the Holocaust. And I asked if, if there was any way, if they had a map so I could go to see Oscar Schindler's tree. And when I went to the tree, I broke down in tears. And it, it, it's not really what happened in the Holocaust. It's, it's that here was a man who was a, a libertine, uh, cheated on his wife, made money as an arms dealer with the Nazis. And yet somehow there was goodness in him. And it was inexplicable that in a selfish, egotistical, hedonistic person like this. There should be some spark of goodness in him. And that to me is very moving. And it's very important to tell that story. So I'm going to the interview with Steven Spielberg. And before I interview people generally, I like to talk to them first. When I did the Richard Bay show, I would shake everybody's hand in the audience while they were online and, and speak to them and, 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 and just try to get a connection. And I always did that with celebrities as well. So I, I was sitting with him before the, before we had set up the cameras. And I, when I was an actor, there was, I, I was in the Michael Bloom agency and there was a gorgeous woman there who was so stunning that every time she spoke to me, I, my, my heart would pound and I'd be like I was in high school with the prettiest girl in the school. And she was so sweet and so supportive. One time I was up for a TV sitcom and she said, oh, Richard, did you get it? And I said, no. And she said, oh, don't worry, you'll get the next one. And it was like uh, the prettiest girl in the school coming over and praising your report card. And that woman, or that well, gal, she grew up to be Kate Capshaw, and that's Steven Spielberg's wife. So I told him about that. Now, the second thing that happened was Steven Spielberg had the option 
to produce Schindler's List as a movie. And he had Martin Scorsese to be the director of the movie. And as I was there, it was that week or that month, Scorsese pulled out because he finally got financing for a project that was his pet for years and years, and that's The Last Temptation of Christ. So now Schindler's List, Spielberg owns it. He has the rights to make the movie, but there is no director. So I, I discussed that with him before the interview, and I said, this story has to be told. I told him about what happened at Yad Vashem. I told him, you know, I, I believe me, I don't think Steven Spielberg went home and said, hmm, at Richard Bay, he really convinced me I'm going to direct this movie. No, no. But I did make a big point with him that this story, people had to know this story. And not everybody was going to read the book. So that's what led up to the interview. And one of my things was, preoccupations was, Steven Spielberg is interviewed by everybody. He's, you know, he, he was out promoting something. I forget what, no, I don't even think he was promoting. But how am I going to ask him questions that nobody else will ask him? I'm not going to, well, what was it like working with Harrison Ford? You know, the sort of Entertainment Tonight questions. And by the end of this interview, I think you'll see that a few of those questions he does answer. Now, at the end of the interview, my producer, Rosemary Henry, had enough sense to take my notes and have Steven Spielberg autograph them. These were my notes for the interview. That's and very says, cool. Good notes, great interview, Steven Spielberg. I've had this hanging on my wall for years. And now you'll be able to see this Steven Spielberg approved interview. Let it roll. So many of us in the audience have rediscovered that sense of uh, joy, wonder, even terror that we had as children. And the man responsible throughout so many motion pictures for rediscovering the feelings we had when we were younger, the true honest feelings of what it's like to see something for the first time is my guest right now, and I'm certainly very honored to be talking to Steven Spielberg. Thank you very much for being with us today. Nice to be here. Are you a happy guy? Yeah, generally. Yeah? Most yeah. people would think you're on top of the world, top of your profession, gobs of money, you're well-liked. What makes you happiest right now? I guess looking forward to the next project. I mean, I, I, my happiness is really completely interconnected with the leapfrogging I do as a movie maker, and that's been recently and totally upstaged by just my happiness as a dad, which is a new experience for me. Three and a half years old, but a new experience for me. Is that going to influence your movies at all? Well, I don't think so, because before I, I had a son, I was making movies. I was sort of fathering many stage kids along, and a lot of pictures that involved children and children's uh, you know, stories about their points of view. So I feel like I've been a dad for many years, and then it finally happened for me for real. Even a dad to many adults discover that sense of wonder again that like they were when they were children michael jackson said that when you watch a steven spielberg movie you feel love is there a sense of spirituality at all that you have that you communicate through your films well if, if there is it's certainly not 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 something that i do you know on purpose i don't consciously 
deal with that. I think filmmaking is 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 truly a, a, a something that happens in, inside here. It's real filmmaking is not something that is where you combine formulas and mix methods, but it's just expressing yourself without knowing what you're really expressing. You, you just sort of like in the few scripts I've actually written, I've always written my screenplays from beginning to end without really having much of a idea of where one scene was leading leading to. I never really used an outline to write my scripts. I kind of started at the beginning and when it was over, it was over. One thing though that you find in all of your films is that moment when the meteor streaks across the sky and disappears. Oh yeah? <laughs> you noticed that? <laughs> I noticed that. I think a lot of people do. Where did that come from? Did that come from a personal experience at all? Yes, it did. It came from when I was a child. Uh, I was five years old. My father took me to see a meteor shower one summer night where you put the blankets on the, on the hill and green grass and you lie down with half the neighborhood and you look up at the sky and it was New Jersey and I just remember looking up this at the sky. This was in New Jersey? Yeah, it was kind of hard in New Jersey where, seeing anything. Because where in New city Jersey? Lights. It was in Haddonfield. In Haddonfield. And lying there uh, trying to see past the, the haze of the diffracted light from the city to the sky and there was a rather remarkable display of points of light zooming all across the sky every couple of seconds there'd be a new one and uh, I never forgot that experience. People have said a lot of your movies have got to do with a child separation from the parent and getting reunited mm -hmm. again. Do you personally have a connection to that feeling of, of being separated from someone and then reunited? Yeah, sure I do. Um, as I think many, many children and adults do who have come from broken homes. And, and, uh, but, but by the same thing, I had a wonderful childhood. And How I, old are you when your parents divorced? My parents divorced when I was about 15. So I had you know, 15 years of you know, being in a family, the family unit, so to speak, you know, the nuclear family in Arizona. Um, but I, I always like movies where you allow the audience to feel very small at one point, overwhelmed by the events they're watching, and then allow the audience to suddenly be much larger than the events and take control of the events. And I've always liked stories that do that to an audience, because those are the stories that I respond to the most. At this point, there's hardly anyone that's larger than you in terms of your power, your esteem in Hollywood. And you must be in control of so much. Does anyone ever have the guts to say, Steven Spielberg, you're wrong about this. That's not going to sell. That's a bad movie. All the people I hire to work with me are the ones. I only hire them if they'll tell that to my face. There's <laughs> isn't anybody you know, lying to me against what they really believe. I mean, that'd be a horrible thing to surround yourself with people who just make you feel good. I mean, I mean I'm happy that if the audience makes me feel good. That's very important to me. But uh, it's very important that when you're working, that you're surrounded by honesty and people with good ideas and people who can make a material contribution to a movie and I, that's extraordinarily important for me. We're here today also to commemorate the opening of um, a Universal Entertainment Complex in Florida. But your film career, in some respects, is intricately linked with Universal. A studio tour you took at the age of 17. What happened? That's right. I took a tour when I was uh, 16, actually, and I got off the tour tram because they weren't really showing us shooting. They were racing down the streets of the sound, you know, and mainly showing us the back lot. And I wanted to see some photography happening, some filming. So I left off the bus at a rest stop, and I snuck behind the soundstage, and the bus went on without me. And I spent the day watching uh, television shows being shot at Universal. This is a long time ago. You came back to the studio, though, masquerading as somebody working there. Yeah. How did you do that? Yeah, that's the old story. I came back to uh, 
Universal about a week later and just wore my bar mitzvah suit. You know, <laughs> literally? So, oh yeah, it was a little short, wasn't all, it? Oh, I had. I was a little short at the time. <laughs> <laughs> a little briefcase in my hand, and just walked past the guard and waved to him. And his name—he's still at the gate. His name's Scotty. And the guy that you—he's still there, still at the gate, <laughs> Scotty. And he, he waved back. And for, for the next three months during my summer vacation from high school, every day I went to the lot and observed editing and dubbing. And, and just filming. walked around? Yeah, I walked around and found a little office to sort of... You got your own office? office? Well, there was, a, there was a, a large building with about 19 vacancies, and I moved into an office, sat there. Uh, the phones were disconnected, so I had to make a deal with the operator to get the phones working again. Uh, but I never really made phone calls. I spent most of my time just watching filmmaking and mainly made friends with the film editors. Because the film editors were the only people who wouldn't throw me out. I was thrown out by more directors in those days, tossed off of more sets, and I wound up uh, uh, you know, meeting a few film editors and really learning the business through editing, which is a great way to learn how to make movies. Can you enjoy your movies when you watch them now, or do you always think, ah, I know what the shot took, I know, I know which take this is. Can you sit back and enjoy the story and the acting? and the? Oh, it's hard. It's hard for me. I can enjoy anybody else's movies, but I can't enjoy mine. The only movie I've been able to see... Uh, feeling somewhat disconnected from the experience was is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Why? Raiders, I don't know. It's the only movie I can watch of mine and be entertained by it and not remember what happened behind the scenes, not remember about the snakes, not remember about the bugs and this and that and this and that. The Raiders series for me has been uh, very enjoyable. I mean, I, I, I put on a different hat when I direct those films. I'm totally wearing the hat of the consumer, of the audience. You appear to be, and I'm sure you are, uh, of course I don't know you personally, but I think a lot of people feel this way, to be a wonderful human being and having, have a great sense of values, and yet you've got all of this money. You're one of the richest people in Hollywood, in America. What, is, what does money mean to you? I just, it just means a little more freedom. For me, it just means that I can you know, go places that otherwise I couldn't go, and I could you know, perhaps even... We could live in more than one city, which is which is sometimes nice. It's a break from Los Angeles. And, and my God, if I didn't have any money at all, I would beg, borrow, and steal to take a break from Los Angeles, <laughs> somewhere else for a while. Uh, you know, I, I... Okay, I I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, and I think you can see, just like with this podcast. When you have an interview, one of the goals that you have with someone should be to make them think on their feet during the interview. And I think I, I think that was accomplished with uh, Mr. Spielberg there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thank you. For, what's that, Albert? Did you I said, oh, uh, yes. Okay. Well, I, I just want to thank everybody for joining us on our third um, video and uh, audio podcast and to remind them they can find the podcast uh, they can find the podcast on YouTube, on Facebook and also on uh, Google Talk and Apple Talk and Albert you did a great job today you got everything right and uh, you're the greatest thank you so much Thank you. and to everybody out there watching as always all my best <laughs>